0: Hi, and welcome to the RCH Kids' Health Info podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr. Anthea Rhodes, paediatrician and co-host of the podcast. This episode, all about head injuries, is a bit different to our normal
1: show. That's because my co-hosts, Dr. Margie Danschen and Dr. Lexi Frydenberg, recorded the podcast and streamed it live on Facebook at the same time. We're so happy that lots of our listeners and the community joined in. So, without further delay, let's hand over to Margie and Lexi for the show. From the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our first live recording of the Kids Health Info Podcast. As many of you may be aware, this podcasting series has been running for a year or so now, and we cover a lot of child health issues. So please feel free to check our podcast series for other topics that we've covered. I'm Dr Margie Danchin. I'm a paediatrician here at the Children's Hospital and I'm your host for today. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about head knocks and concussion and obviously with COVID last year and the restrictions that we all had in lockdown and so on, there was a real lack of sport and particularly contact sport and so now with kids getting back to physical activity generally and contact sport, we are seeing a lot more head knocks presenting to our emergency department. So what we'd like you to do today is to send through questions live as we're chatting and I'll introduce uh, my co-host and our guest today in a minute, but please feel free to send through your questions as we're chatting this morning. But also do remember that the situation in which a child has a head knock is different and we're providing general advice today. So if you are concerned about your child or they do have a head knock, please see your GP or call 000. So I'd like to introduce my co-host today, Dr. Lexi Frydenberg, paediatrician here at the Children's. You may know her from previous podcasts. And today we have our guest, Professor Vicky Anderson, who is a neuropsychologist and head of psychology at RCH, but she's also a researcher and expert in concussion. So we're really looking forward to hearing your insights today, Vicky. Morning, Maggie. Let's start first with um, the, a mild head knock, how they occur and, and what sort of symptoms kids actually present with. The key point to make
2: is that in kids, most head knocks occur outside of contact sports. So about 55% will happen f- through falls, so from play equipment or when kids are uh, playing in the playground or messing around at training. And... Uh, the most common age group is the under fives. Interestingly, okay. and um, and we all know that they have lots of head knocks just yeah, because yeah. of their um, the, the way they move around. Uh, and as we move through to adolescence, it's more likely that that these injuries will be due to sports, but not necessarily contact sports. So, uh, snowboarding, skateboarding, bicycle bicycle riding, yeah, and um then contact sports come after that. So that's
1: really interesting for people to be aware of that actually younger kids, toddlers, you know, falls off change tables, it's not necessarily contact sport even though that's what I started with. So it's a wide variety of ways that people, you know, kids can actually have head knocks.
2: Yeah, and I think that the key importance of that is that the responsibility of understanding and being able to pick up a head knock is not just on trainers and coaches but it's actually on parents.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so that's good. That's how it it can happen happen so what do parents look out for what might you notice if a child has a head knock say for example if it is on a sports ground they get knocks all the time knocks to their jaw you know what what are the signs of of say um, a a concussion? The key signs
2: are changes in um, uh, what we call conscious state so a bit of confusion dizziness uh, headaches come later and nausea comes later but but really uh, a little bit of unbalanced um, activity or kind of motor difficulties. Kids might describe double vision or blurriness. So Mm -hmm. it's those kinds of uh, um, symptoms that are really indicating that the head knock is a significant one.
1: Okay. And so do we call that concussion?
2: If those symptoms are there, yes, we call that a concussion. Okay.
0: Okay. So I think it's really... I- important to think about any head injury or head knock, even a minor one, can cause these symptoms. The child doesn't actually have to lose consciousness on the field or you know if they've fallen off a change table. So if we see a head knock, we have to be alert for some of these symptoms you've talked about, Vicky.
2: Absolutely, Lexi. So it's quite uncommon for kids to lose consciousness after a concussion because, as you say, it's a fairly mild knock. So a lack of um, unconsciousness is not an indicator that there's no concussion.
1: So, Vicky, then what are signs of a more severe head knock? So that, that, I guess, moving from concussion to a head injury...
2: Most of my research has been on more severe injuries and the key factors are loss of consciousness. So when we see a loss of consciousness, then we are concerned. And if it continues for, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes, then that's really concerning. Uh, Those injuries tend to have a lot of other symptoms associated with it too. So there might be... um, a vagueness and an inability to take in information. There might be you know, weakness on one side of the body, there might be language changes or seizures. So they're all real indications that the the brain's actually been impacted and for those injuries it's really important that the child gets to a hospital really quickly. Yeah okay so if
0: there is loss of consciousness if a child falls from a a height or a change table or jumping off the couch like my children did (laughs) um, we should call an ambulance and take them to hospital to be checked. Absolutely absolutely. And those are the children who'll be observed in the emergency department and may or may not go on to get further testing.
2: Yeah, and in fact, many of the kids that have significant uh, traumatic brain injuries will be admitted and um, and watched over a number of days. And you know, they might have investigations such as brain scans and so
0: on. Okay, so they're probably the easier one for us as parents to know what to do Absolutely. with. Absolutely. And... I think, you know, back to talking about concussion, because I think that's much harder for us as parents and trainers in our children's sport. So concussion is when there isn't an underlying brain injury. Is that right? That's exactly right,
2: Lexi, yeah. I think it's very poorly understood, and, and particularly there's lots of media cover of, of concussions and brain injury, but in fact the the formal definition is no brain injury on typical brain scans.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. I'm actually the trainer for my elder daughter's um, footy team this year, which is fantastic. And what I found really useful is having that head check app, Vicky, which I'd love you to chat about um, on the side of the footy ground, so that you can actually be able to identify some of the signs of con- concussion. Maybe you want to talk about that because that's a really fabulous resource for people.
2: <laughs> Always delighted to talk about head check. So um, just just to to say first that. Um, HeadCheck came about for two reasons. One, because we found that um, parents and coaches and trainers were really unaware of what the best practice guidelines for identifying and managing concussion are. And the second reason is because parents um, are very anxious about what to do about concussion because the um, information out there is very mixed. So we translated the guidelines into an app called HeadCheck and it's got two phases, and the really critical phase, I think, is the, the sidelines phase, where um, there's a list of symptoms that, that parents and trainers can look at. They can tick those those symptoms and they'll get advice immediately about whether or not the child should be um, taken to hospital in ambulance, go and visit their GP after the injury, or they should sit out um, the rest of the game. And, and I, I should point out that um, In in all cases, it suggests that kids should sit out the rest of the game if they've got those symptoms. and I
1: think that's really important and there's a real increased awareness now, I think, of when a child does have a head knock to bring them off, they don't go back on, you observe them and you're really looking closely for those signs. Sometimes we have some very eager parents who are on the sidelines saying, oh, they're fine, they're fine, send them back on. And um, as the trainer and obviously the coach, it's really our responsibility to say, no, we've got to take this seriously.
2: I agree. And I'll speak as a clinician now. So so some of the um, kids that I see clinically, and I only see the kids who have symptoms that won't go away after a concussion, so I might see them three months later. Um, Those are the kids that either went back on the ground or on the court and had another head knock or they did other things too quickly, like going back yeah. to school too quickly. And, so. and that's
1: really the concern, isn't it? It's that we don't want them, if they do have symptoms after the head knock, we want them to completely go away before they resume contact sport again because they will be at higher risk of having another concussion.
2: Yes, and yeah. um, so there's a period of time that's, that's super high risk, which is that first few weeks, and then... The literature tells us that up to three months, a child who's had a concussion is a bit more at risk. But it's important to say that after that time, when um, the child's recovered, then the risk of a another concussion is uh, is no greater than any other child, except um, in the in the um, instance where kids are really risk takers or play in a way that that allows them to get concussions. Yeah, Yeah, which many of our children (laughs) are.
0: So we'll just go back to head check, because you were just telling us there were sort of the symptoms, which are the headache, nausea, dizziness, vomiting, they're listed there. And then there's a second part to the app.
2: Yep. So the second part, um, if the coach has done the first part, then there's an opportunity for the coach to transfer the information to parents on their phone. Um, or else the parent can be using it. And, and this is the second part um, helps you to guide your child's recovery. So um, the parent's asked to put in the child's symptoms. So do they have headaches and how severe? Do they have nausea? What's their concentration like? What's their sleep like? And based on the child's specific symptoms the app will guide the parents to particular activities. So we generally would be suggesting that kids are pretty quiet in the first couple of days after a concussion, um, after a head knock, and and then after that we try to get them back into activities. So start them exercising gently and and increase that, get them back to school gradually. Now some kids can can, um, get full recovery within a few days we would
1: still be suggesting that they take it slowly in terms of those activities and I think the key is really that there's no contact sport again for about 14 days 12 to 14 days I know it's 12 days in adults
2: yeah I mean there is an argument that kids recover a little bit more slowly yeah and so with kids it's 14 days yeah
0: interesting because in most things we think kids recover more quickly but their children's brains haven't developed yet and it's you know concussion is like rattling in their brain so mm. it does seem to take longer.
1: And Vicky one question we got was if the child is still having symptoms up to say day 10 after the head knock that doesn't then mean that if they've symptom free for four days that they can necessarily go back straight away to contact sport.
2: No, that's exactly yeah, right. which I think so, is really
1: yeah, good to yeah. say. You mm. actually want them to have a decent period of time with no symptoms to make sure the brain has fully recovered exactly. um, rather than just counting 14 days and saying, well, they're good to go back now. Yep. Yeah, yes. Yes. absolutely. Look,
0: We've had some questions come through. Um, Brent was asking a great question. So it's quite clear if your child's had a head injury, um, you take them off the field if they're playing a contact sport. But so many of our kids have other injuries, soft tissue injuries, their jaw gets hit. Um, what do we do as coaches, trainers, parents? Do they come off the field for the rest of the match? Can they keep playing so that they've got a full team? They're the really tricky ones, I think. It's a fine balance. It is a fine balance, but I suppose if we're thinking
2: about kids' um, uh, recovery and the risk of further concussion, I have a conservative approach here. I would, if there's any concern about a head knock... I would be taking the child off the ground for the rest of that game. Um, And then if they have no symptoms afterwards, it may well not have been a concussion, but if it was and you leave them on the ground, then... That's a big risk. If
0: they go back on, they've got a chance of a second concussion, yes. exactly. mm. a higher That's risk. Sort of issue, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, Vicky, I just wanted to touch on those kids that do have symptoms persisting beyond two weeks, mm-hmm. so those longer-term symptoms, because you see a lot of those kids. I do. Um, tell us a little bit about those children. Are there kids that are more likely to have longer-term symptoms?
2: There are um, there's not a whole lot of research out there to guide us, but interestingly what the literature does tell us is um, uh, females who are um, adolescent uh, are yeah. the the kids that are big risk and certainly uh, the clinically that's what I see so mm. and also kids that have a bit of an anxious temperament beforehand yeah and um where there's parents who are very anxious as well. So uh, I think sometimes in the the approach to recovery and guiding recovery can be a bit too cautious. A bit prolonged, yeah. 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 So
1: that's a good point actually because, of course, a head knock is a stressful experience. It would Mm. provoke anxiety in most parents. And again, coming back to head check, being able to identify what's going on gives the parent a bit more control and and hopefully a pathway to know what to do which may reduce anxiety. So I guess just reassuring parents, yes, we know it's anxiety provoking but sometimes their anxiety can make it worse for the child
0: absolutely and I think we're educating parents so they understand a lot more about concussion and Mm. there's a lot in the media so it's actually hard not to be anxious as a parent (laughs) when your child gets you know hit in the head it's that's so true Lexi and I think a lot of what we
2: hear in the media is quite um, sensational Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you know Most kids recover perfectly well from a concussion and can go back to playing should they and their family make make that decision. And it's
0: so common, but we actually don't hear about most of the kids. We hear about the kids who have prolonged problems. I was just thinking, actually, one of my friend's son who was um, sitting at a chair at school and you know how kids sometimes lean back? Well, he leant back and hit his head, didn't lose consciousness Wasn't quite right, but actually, it took three to four months. He had prolonged symptoms. Um, It took three to four months for him to feel better, have his concentration back. He had difficulties with his memory um, and lots of long term sort of issues that have now resolved, thankfully. But I think one of the problems, it probably wasn't recognised initially and he went back to school quite early Mm. and went back to sport quite early because it wasn't, you know, on the footy field it's probably a bit easier. When it's something like that at school, you think, oh, maybe not. What what would you recommend? We talked about 24, 48 hours off completely and that means off screens, off sport, off school. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I think rest. So we don't want it we don't want them to sit in a dark
0: room and do nothing—the old cocoon, like we used to <laughs> <Yes>. do.
2: <laughs> because then they'll just worry, particularly teenagers. And um, so we want them to be able to have some, you know, some some normal activity. You know, they, so a little bit of screens isn't mm-hmm. too bad. Keep contact with their peers, and you know, hear how the game ended and things yep. like that. Um, uh, a little bit of gentle walking around—that uh, kind of thing—is fine. And look, it's really important to say that. Um, we see the kids that that have significant mm-hmm. symptoms, and there's probably about half of the kids who have a concussion will never see a medical person at all because because they're better. So mm-hmm. we don't want to wrap those kids up in cotton, cotton wool. But we we do we want to make sure that kids don't go back to things too early. Number one because of Risks of concussion, but also because if they go back and they feel that fogginess, the confusion, can't remember things, aren't so good at um, at their sport, then that's a real loss of confidence for them. Yeah. Mm. And so that's when those mental an- health problems and the come anxiety into play. comes yeah. in. Okay, mm.
0: so returning to school, if they feel okay, they've rested. They can go back to school on the Monday after the weekend, etc. But if they're continuing to have symptoms, it may be good to start slowly returning to school? Definitely. So if,
2: you, if, the, uh, if parents use the app, what that will say is start gradually. So even if they're feeling okay, you know, maybe a half day for the first couple of days. And then if they're doing well, then they can they can continue to increase how much they're back.
1: Vicki, I just wanted to ask you a little bit in terms of some of the longer term symptoms. um, Some of your research has shown that kids who do have those persisting symptoms beyond two weeks may be more likely to have some sort of anxiety or or mental health symptoms. What did that show?
2: Yeah, they certainly do. So of the kids that that have um, uh, persisting symptoms, about a third will go on to have mental health issues. Mm. So they're mainly anxiety and trauma type symptoms and that loss of confidence that I just mentioned. But I suppose there's a bit of a trajectory. So the initial symptoms um, in that two to three to four weeks are physical symptoms. So visual symptoms, um, balance problems, yeah. things like that, where we would often get a physiotherapist who specialises in concussion yeah. to have a look and uh, give give the child some exercises. And that can really frequently reduce and resolve the symptoms. But once those symptoms are resolved, we often see problems, so mental health problems yeah. and they can they can um, present in terms of anxiety, but they can also present in terms of difficulties concentrating yeah. or sleep and fatigue problems, and they all kind of they're pretty generic uh, difficulties mm. and And who symptoms. should
1: parents seek out for those? I mean, they're the kids yeah. you see, but yep. who would a parent reach out to through their GP, for example?
2: Yeah, I think GP is always the first port of mm. call, but I would, I mean, for a child that has ongoing symptoms, a sports medicine physician is always a, okay. a really key person. And there are some really great multidisciplinary concussion clinics around Melbourne, yeah. less in, in yeah. rural areas.
0: So they involve um, a sports medicine doctor, a yep. psychologist, a physio... A physio. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. they can work on what the main yeah. problems are. Yeah. We've got a few questions that yeah. have come through. Um, George has asked, if a child has a head knock, should we apply a cool compress or ice? She's heard conflicting advice. Uh, um, in terms of
2: the actual At the impact the their, of, their yeah. head, it doesn't really make any yeah. difference. Okay. I think. So yeah. for
0: soft tissue injuries, if they've hurt their arm or finger, we often do as trainers, um, but not for the head. No. Another question um, which we actually had thought about was, the role of helmets. So yes, good one. you know, we're not being <laughs> AFL-specific here, um, but this question did ask specifically AFL. But what sports are? Is there a role for helmets and evidence that helmets prevent significant head injury? And is there any evidence that helmets prevent concussion? Okay, where to start? <laughs> so, um, so it's uh, it's definitely
2: true that some sports uh, helmets are really useful. So we usually say that sports where there's a more of a missile involved like a hockey puck or a cricket ball um then those sports it is really important to wear a helmet uh and that's pretty much policy for for those sports where it's um where we've got a big mean a big ball involved and um uh, less of a missile less of a missile (laughs) that's right Mm. um it's you know that the evidence really suggests that helmets are not particularly helpful yeah. in fact you know there's a few things so kids have a bigger head on their neck than adults so so that's a bigger uh, weight on their neck and can lead to um, a higher likelihood of cervical spine injuries Okay, so that's neck injuries
0: this. in the bone
2: yep and there is also some evidence that once you put a helmet on a child that they think they're invincible so they go in and do more risky things so in general we don't really recommend um, uh,
0: helmets. Yeah, so for for, AFL and soccer, we don't. Bike riding is probably one of the instances where we do see head injury, and we have for many, many years. Skateboarding and snowboarding.
2: And snowboarding,
0: absolutely. Big one. And rollerblading now, I think, as well. So I think we, you know, they're the the sports and activities our kids do that are not team sports or contact sports, but we still have to remember there is a big role for helmets in those situations.
2: And also, I think we need to remember that actually most concussions don't occur. During the game, absolutely. Occur in training or when the kids are messing
0: around. And I was just (laughs) thinking about another friend. Her four-year-old was on a jumping pillow, you know, like those trampolines. Fell back. hurt herself, hit her back, and they thought it was just a back injury. But actually, 48 hours later, she started having behavioural issues, very emotional, very teary. And it was only then that they realised that that at the time she'd hit her head. Mm. But I think that's an important point to emphasise, Vicky. It doesn't happen straight away in all instances.
2: And Lexi, that's so common, not just in concussion, but in more serious injuries too. If there are other injuries, orthopedic injuries, you know, like necks or backs or broken, you know, broken bones. bones, then the focus is always on those things. And so, you know, and kids are in pain so so um, the, the kinds of symptoms that we see like headache and nausea and um, difficulties concentrating and confusion are seen as part of the pain yeah. um, rather than as a concussion. So, yeah, I mean I frequently uh, see kids who haven't had their concussion
0: picked up immediately for yeah, those reasons. Yeah, and I think you said to me that most of the presentations we get to emergency here are not straight away. That's right. It's... They're the
1: next day often, aren't they?
0: Yep.
2: Within 48 hours, so we often say if a child's been playing Oz Kick, we'll use AFL example again, um, on Saturday morning and has a head knock, often the families will watch them and then not present them until Sunday night because they're worried about should they go to school, do the parents need to take yeah. time off work. And, and all
1: the all head headache's things. not going away, yeah. they still feel a bit groggy, yeah. Yeah, that's really
0: good to talk about. Um, We've just got a comment from Jen, some feedback. She said, uh, my four-year-old was taken to RCH last week with concussion and very thankful for the doctors and nurses and all the team. The app sounds amazing um, and it's such great information. And just to remind people, the app has recently been updated. So if you had the old app, please refresh it and it's also free.
2: Yes, and now it's not just for kids, but it's for
0: all ages. Yes, so the AFL dad can has been it promoting too. it,
1: which is <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> yes.
0: Okay, we've got a follow up question from Caroline about the, the ice. So if um, a child has a bump on their head, like an egg on the head, they come out straight away because they've got some bruising, should ice be used? Um, so not really related to the concussion, but more about the local effect. Margie, you might yeah, be able to answer gonna, that. I was going to say that As much a doctor question. rather than as a <laughs> neuropsychologist. So I was
1: actually <laughs> going to say that before. Um, obviously, the ice is not going to affect the concussion, but if there's an egg on the head or Absolutely. local swelling, we know ice will help that. Yep. So just yep. to clarify that, I think Vicky did say, you know, it won't affect it won't help the, the, the concussion or brain. The, <laughs> the rattling of the brain, what we whatever's you know, actually happening mm. with con- concussion, but it will help the egg.
0: Yeah. <laughs> One of the other questions that keeps coming up is... Is when should my child or should my child have any imaging of their brain, so a CT scan or an MRI? Because we talked about concussion being not a brain injury, how do we know that if we don't have the test?
2: So um, maybe just to uh, refer to our research here. Yeah. So we've over a um, number of years we've been researching concussion and we've been doing imaging, brain imaging in kids, and we cannot find anything wrong with any of the brains of the kids that we see and we haven't just done conventional imaging we've done an enormous amount of high-tech analysis and there's really not much to see so the imaging is really useful if your child deteriorates in any way so yeah there's a change yes Mm. that's right so because because then what you might be seeing is something that's a little bit more significant than um the, than a, a head knock and a concussion. And I didn't mention before, but one of the the things that that I really like about Head Check is there are red flags as as you go through the process of putting in the symptoms. The app will identify if the child's symptoms have increased, mm-hmm. and if they have, they'll say stop doing yeah. an app go to go to a doctor and yep. i think that's you know that's when you go to the doctor and you see what's so yep. just
1: to clarify mm-hmm. when we do do a ct on mri of the brain we're sort of looking for like a bruise to the brain a bleed potentially those are the sorts of things that might show up and then we would say that's a head injury absolutely. or more severe injury so yep. just to clarify yeah yep absolutely and
2: and ct scans are not particularly helpful no, in no. head
0: injuries they sometimes
1: hide- they're done acutely because yes. it's quick yeah, and sometimes hard to get an MRI in the first instance, but yeah, totally
0: Yeah, agree. and I think, look, our MRIs and, and scans have come a long way in the last 20 years, and even then, we're not picking up changes with um, most head injuries. There's another question, um, a really great question from Katie. After our child has a he- hard head knock, should we keep them awake? Because often they'll be sleepy, or if it's a younger child, you know, they may have day sleeps. Do we let them have their normal sleep, or should we try and keep them up? The million-dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> Thanks, a tricky Gabe. one. I mean, I
2: think the concern um, for keeping kids awake is to to make sure that they're not um, that their their consciousness level is not diminishing, yeah. is not reducing. So. Um, I, you know, I think maybe a short sleep isn't a bad thing, but I would be just checking that, that they're just yeah, asleep. Yeah, I
1: would agree with that. I don't think you want them to go and have a four-hour sleep. No. But obviously after a knock, if, if you've established they're okay, they can have a rest and a bit of a nap, but then I would wake them but up. But I think yeah. the
0: hard thing is if it happens in the afternoon, your child's been going to bed and, um, you know, they fell off the couch, do you let them have that normal sleep overnight or do you wake and check on them every few hours or not?
1: Yeah, look, I think, again, it depends on what symptoms they had at the time that it happened and in that immediate period of observation, mm. which would at least be half an hour or an hour, yeah. you know, and Vicky's talked really, you know, well about those symptoms yeah. to look out for. Because again, what you're thinking is, is there an injury to the brain that I'm missing? That's what we're yeah, worried about when they're bleed. asleep, like a bl- brain bleed that would mean that, that the child would deteriorate. So,
0: And when children come into emergency, what we normally do is we observe them for four hours that's and right. check these symptoms and so I think the four-hour mark is a good one if your child you know is okay in the first four hours they're less likely to have a severe head injury or bleed having said that I think it's always important that if they deteriorate we have to really take notice of that that's a big sign and lexi it's also important to say there that if
2: that happens there there's treatments that can can that's um, right. can uh, work for the child it's not you know it's not a disaster but um, the quicker you get the child to hospital in those in that context, the better
1: off they will be.
0: Absolutely.
1: Now, unfortunately, we're at time didn't half an hour go very quickly quickly. I'm sorry I've got so many more questions for (laughs) you Vicky
0: we might actually if any you know people can put them in the chat yeah um, and we've got quite a few that's what I was
1: going to suggest so I think you know we will try and follow up thank you so much for sending through your questions it was a really fantastic discussion so thank you so much Vicky for sharing your wisdom and some of your research Um, and Lex thank you so much for for co-hosting with me today. today and of course we will put the link to the HeadCheck app in our show notes as well well as some other links so that parents can have a look and and follow up and look at some of the resources.
0: We've got a Kids Health Info fact sheet about head injury that's been updated because we've got some new guidelines out so I think it's important in Australia we know about those. Um, but we've also got lots of other podcasts for that's people to right. listen to. So,
1: of course, we would really encourage you to have a look at the other uh, Kids Health Info podcasts that we've been doing over the last year or so. There's some fantastic topics that we've covered. And, of course, we hope to do some more Facebook Live sessions as well. So bye for from us for now, and um, please uh, submit a review and subscribe to the podcast if you'd like to. So thanks, thanks very much for joining thanks,
0: us. Thanks, Vicky. That's been fantastic. Thanks for having me.
2: Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.